Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, I'm the Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com. Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter, at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is the 27th of April, 2022, and the title of today's show is David Wilcock Disclosures, Devolution Part 20, and Leftist Meltdown as Elon Buys Twitter. So I've got a lot to pack in today. I want to go diving straight into it. I'm just going to briefly cover some interesting points that David Wilcock made in his interview by Mike Adams. And I have to say, I'm actually coming to like Mike Adams a lot more than I used to, having seen the uh, interviews that he did with Dr. Ardis on the snake venom theory. And also this latest one with David Wilcock. And in the interview, he also mentioned um, a joint project between David Wilcock and Mike Adams, which is Moment of Truth, the movie. And I've been watching, I've got through part of this, it's, it's in a two-part series, and they're actually pretty long, um, approaching two hours each one. And it's a compilation of all sorts of different topics, which is very interesting. And that's on brandnewtube.com. Um, and if you just do a search for Moment of Truth, uh, you should be able to find it okay. So I'm just going to pick out a few points that I made notes on. When I was watching this interview, uh, Mike Adams with David Wilcock, he mentioned a few points. Nixon is a member of the Illuminati. Reagan was installed and he found out that he was being used. He was going to disclose about ETs and then there was this attempted assassination of him by Brady. And... During Reagan's administration, Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, visited the White House and aired the movie E.T. And Reagan got up at the end and said, there are only a few people in here who know how true this movie really is. So interesting that, um, you know, there have been a series of presidents, I believe, who had potentially the opportunity for disclosure of the fact that we aren't alone in the universe. I mean, who with any modicum of logic could think that only one planet in the whole solar system was capable of supporting life, not me? I never believed that for a moment. Um, 
Another interesting thing he said is that Howard Hughes was the author of the plan. Now, that's something I hadn't heard before. And David does go into detail about why um, Howard Hughes um, authored this plan and what prompted him to do so. So um, I will be sharing the link to this, and I, I really suggest that you have a listen to it. It's not that long. Um, he also said, David said, the majority of the deep state has already been taken out. Well, if that's the case, that's really good news. And he says, check out the latest James Bond movie, No Time to Die. A cabal group dies off from a weapon that they wanted to go through your DNA. They talk about smart blood. They wanted to give everybody a robotic injection where they can selectively kill whoever they want with an RFID. They say this is a good thing because it'll save lives. Does this sound familiar at all? But it sounds like they were hoist on their own petard, as Shakespeare says in the movie. I haven't seen the movie, but um, that's the summary that David provided. And he also, I think this may have been Mike Adams, I'm not sure, I didn't make a note of that, but saying that vaccinations are broadcasting MAC addresses or Bluetooth IDs. And I've actually seen a short video of someone picking up, doing a, a scan for Bluetooth idea, IDs and picking up from all these people in this restaurant, their different IDs. So I can believe that's true. And we know that there's nanomaterials in the vaccines. Um, lastly, the only, the only other thing I want to cover is David Wilcock believes X-22 report gets briefings from the Alliance. Now, as you know, I'm a big follower of X-22 report so that was interesting that he thinks that his intel actually comes from the Alliance. So even more reason to watch the X-22 report every every day that it's issued. I think the only day that Dave doesn't do a video um, is a Saturday. But, and he does other specials in interviewing people as well as that. So... Have a look at x22report.com. I have a subscription to his x22report.tv, which means you get all the videos without the annoying ads in there. So um, definitely recommended. So the next topic I want to cover is Devolution Part 20. And this is Patel Patriot. And I'm subscribed to him on Substack. And... Regular listeners will know I've been covering um, many of his recent devolution articles on previous shows. I also uh, covered one where he was doing a, looking into the connections between devolution and a wartime president. So if you haven't listened to those, I really suggest you go back because the information that's in there is really helpful in really going behind the scenes, looking into what potentially is happening with the White Hats and the Alliance um, behind the scenes while everything disastrous that the Biden administration is doing is waking people up. So just a reminder of the meaning of devolution, which according to this, is the transfer or delegation of power 
from a central government to a subnational local authority. And we can see how the situation with Biden has prompted many of the states, especially the red states, to issue um, new legislation to combat the very destructive moves that the Biden administration um, has been putting in to basically destroy the country. So that's interesting. And the wartime president theory is that it has been compared to what happened in the Philippines in World War II, where the administration actually came to America and were acting still as the government of the Philippines in exile. So very interesting theories. So let me just bring up this article for you. So this is entitled Trump Justice. Many of us have often wondered if our movement will ever actually see any form of major victory in this war against the political establishment. Because of our political beliefs, we have been marginalised, booted off of platforms, labelled as delusional conspiracy theory terrorists. There has been a true double standard of justice when it comes to the two different political factions of this country. While we have been scorned, the corrupt political establishment has appeared to get away with so many wrongdoings. The relentless media lies, the Obama presidency with 68 known controversies. And if you remember, Obama said he was the, his was the only administration with no scandals. <laughs> Hillary Clinton, Uranium One scandal, pay for play with the Clinton Foundation, private email server. Russian collusion hoax, impeachment hoax, COVID-19, the Biden crime family, Hunter Biden's laptop, the stolen election, the entirety of the Biden administration. It never ends. I understand the feeling of hopelessness many have, the feeling that because we haven't seen any form of justice to this point, maybe we never will. Many have said that our time is coming. It does feel as if the momentum is finally shifting as we get more revelations from the Durham investigation and the Biden crime family, coupled with the collapse of the mainstream media and the fraudulent administration. I have given my opinion throughout my series that Donald Trump implemented devolution to counter the stolen election, and I believe we will be vindicated by his return to office before 2024. In fact, many of you know that I speculate his return will be prior to the 2022 midterms. I do not believe his return is possible without some form of vindication, for those of us know the 2020 election was stolen. I do not believe his return is possible without some form of justice for those who stole the 2020 election, among other things. What will this vindication look like? What form will this Trump justice take? And do we have evidence that Trump made moves while president to set this vindication in motion? abso effing lutely we do. <laughs> John Durham. Many individuals from our movement have been looking to John Durham as one of the key players that will provide us with some of the Trump justice we have been waiting for. There has been so much criminal behaviour from the political establishment 
and so little public justice that it's hard to fathom that anything will actually happen. On the surface, it appears that John Durham has been moving at a glacial pace. Because of the lack of big results, I've actually seen some individuals, supposedly from our movement, question whether John Durham truly exists. He does. At the rate John Durham is going, nothing is going to happen. There has only been three indictments. The big names are all going to get away with it. I have at times related to the above lines of thinking, but as usual, there is something much bigger going on behind the scenes that some of us fail to realise. In order to fully grasp what is happening, we need the context from the beginning. I won't have the detail that people like Brian Cates and Technofog have provided, but I will give the context needed to understand the significance of what Trump did. On May 17, 2017, it was reported that Robert Mueller was named a special counsel. In a screenshot from the announcement, Robert Mueller, former FBI director, is named special counsel for Russia investigation. Washington, the Justice Department appointed Robert S. Mueller III, a former FBI director, a special counsel on Wednesday to oversee the investigation into ties between President Trump's campaign and Russian officials, dramatically raising the legal and political stakes in an affair that has threatened to engulf Mr. Trump's four-month-old presidency. The war against the political establishment has been one of moves and counter-moves. The Mueller special counsel was a political establishment move. They would use this investigation as the basis to release hundreds of thousands of fake news and propaganda all aimed to de delegitimize Trump. I like to think of Trump as the ultimate counterpuncher. We often say he is always 10 steps ahead of his enemies. So what would be the ultimate counter move Trump and his team could put in play? One that came, that comes, before the political establishment even made their move. From the release of text messages exchanged between lovebirds Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, we learn John Durham was investigating matters relating to the 2016 election, those matters being the Spygate leaks, as early as April of 2017. And the screenshot of the spreadsheets is just highlighted there are a couple of them talking about an interview with Durham. So, obviously, Durham was already interviewing people as part of this investigation. Before Muller began his sham special counsel, Durham was already in play. He wouldn't even officially be appointed by Jeff Sessions as interim U.S. attorney for the Dis District of Connecticut until October 28, 2017. For immediate release, this was Thursday, February 22, 2018. John H. Durham sworn in as United States Attorney. There were many significant developments that followed. Related matters. On July 27, 2017 and September 26, 2017, Bob Goodlatte, the chairman of the House of Representatives Committee on the Judiciary, I think that's how you pronounce his name, along with the Judiciary Republicans, sent letters to Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein calling for a second special counsel, in addition to Robert Mueller. From the July 27th letter, 
Dear Attorney General Sessions and Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein, we are writing to you to request assistance in restoring public confidence in our nation's justice system and its investigators, specifically the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We need to enable these agencies to perform their necessary and important law enforcement and intelligence functions fully unhindered by politics. While we presume that the FBI's investigation into Russian influence has been subsumed into special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, we are not confident that other matters related to the 2016 election and aftermath are similarly under investigation by special counsel Mueller. The unbalanced, uncertain and seemingly unlimited focus of the special counsel's investigation has led many of our constituents to see a dual standard of justice that benefits only the powerful and politically well-connected. For this reason, we call on you to appoint a, son- a second special counsel to investigate a plethora of matters connected to the 2016 election and its aftermath, including actions taken by previously public figures like Attorney General Loretta Lynch, FBI Director James Comey and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. The article goes on, I want to make sure you note the particular language used in this letter that you will see often through this article. Hear the phrase, other matters related, to describe what they would like investigated by a second special counsel. Here are those matters. We call on a newly appointed special counsel to investigate, consistent with appropriate regulations, the following questions, many of which were previously posed by this committee and remain unanswered. 1. Then Attorney General Loretta Lynch, directing Mr Comey to mislead the American people on the nature of the Clinton investigation. 2. The shadow cast over our system of justice concerning Secretary Clinton and her involvement in mishandling classified information. 3. FBI and DOJ's investigative decisions related to former Secretary Clinton's email investigation, including the propriety and consequence of immunity deals given to potential Clinton co-conspirators Cheryl Mills, Heather Samuelson, John Bentall and possibly others. The, number four, the apparent failure of DOJ to impanel a grand jury, that was highlighted, to investigate allegations of mishandling of classified information by Hillary Clinton and her associates. Five, the Department of State and its employees' involvement in determining which communications of Secretary Clinton's and her associates to turn over for public scrutiny. Six, WikiLeaks disclosures concerning the Clinton Foundation and its highlighted potentially unlawful international dealings. 7. Connections between the Clinton campaign or the Clinton Foundation and, again highlighted, foreign entities including those from Russia and Ukraine. 8. Mr Comey's knowledge of the purchase of Uranium One, that was highlighted, by the company Rosatom, whether the approval of the sale was connected to any donations made to the Clinton Foundation and what role Secretary Clinton played in the approval of that sale that had, and again highlighted, national security ramifications. 
Number nine, disclosures arising from unlawful access to the DNC computer systems, including inappropriate collusion between the DNC and the Clinton campaign to undermine Senator Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. Ten, post-election accusations by the president that he was wiretapped by the previous administration and whether Mr Comey and Miss Lynch had any knowledge of efforts made by any federal agency to unlawfully monitor communications of then-candidate Trump or his associates. 11. Again highlighted selected leaks of classified information related to the unmasking of US person identities incidentally collected upon by the intelligence community, including an assessment of whether anyone in the Obama administration, including Mr. Comey, Ms. Lynch, Ms. Susan Rice, Ms. Samantha Power or others, had any knowledge about the unmasking of individuals on then-candidate Trump's campaign team, transition team or both. 12. Admitted leaks by Mr. Comey to Columbia University law professor Daniel Richman regarding conversations between Mr. Comey and President Trump, how the leaked information was purposefully released to lead to the appointment of a special counsel, and whether any classified information was included in the now infamous Comey memos. 13. Mr. Comey's and the FBI's apparent reliance on Fusion GPS in its investigation of the Trump campaign including the company's creation of a dossier of information about Mr. Trump, that dossier's commission and dissemination in the months before and after the 2016 election, whether the FBI paid anyone connected to the dossier, and the intelligence sources of Fusion GPS or any person or company working for Fusion GPS and its affiliates, and 14, any and all potential leaks originated by Mr. Comey and provided to author Michael Schmidt, dating back to 1993. Many of the matters above clearly compromise the security of our nation. Just keep in mind that our military is tasked, in part, with defending the security of our nation. Now, the second letter from the Judiciary Republicans calling for the establishment of a second special counsel to investigate the matters listed above came on September 27, 2017. On November 13, 2017, shortly after John Durham's appointment to interim U.S. Attorney for the District of Connecticut, Assistant Attorney General Stephen E. Boyd issued a response to the letters sent by the Judiciary Republicans. Dear Chairman Goodlatte, this response to your letters dated July 27, 2017 and September 26, 2017, in which you and other members requested the appointment of a special counsel to investigate various matters, including the sale of Uranium One, alleged or unlawful dealings related to the Clinton Foundation and other matters. We are sending identical responses to the other members who joined your letter. As noted during our prior meeting in response to your letters, the Department of Justice takes seriously its responsibility to provide timely and accurate information to Congress on issues of public interest and seeks to do so 
in a non-political manner that is consistent with the department's litigation, law enforcement and national security responsibilities. Additionally, the department's leadership has a duty to carefully evaluate the status of ongoing matters to ensure that justice is served and that the department's communications with Congress are accurate and complete. Again, note the language, investigate various matters, unlawful dealings related to the Clinton Foundation and other matters. Carrying on with the letter, to further that goal, the Attorney General has directed senior federal prosecutors to evaluate certain issues raised in your letters. These senior prosecutors will report directly to the Attorney General and the Deputy Attorney General as appropriate and will make recommendations as to whether any matters not currently under investigation should be opened, whether any matters currently under investigation require further resources, or whether any matters merit the appointment of a special counsel. This will better enable the Attorney General and the Deputy Attorney General to more effectively evaluate and manage the caseload. And it goes on to say, in conducting this review, all allegations will be reviewed in light of the principles of federal prosecution. USAM 9-27 is a subsection of the Title IX criminal section of the Department of Justice Manual. The title of this subsection is Principles of Federal Prosecution. Now, I'm just going to read the highlighted parts of this because there's a lot more to cover in this article and I don't want to run out of time. So the part that's uh, highlighted is says a, de a determination to prosecute represents a policy judgment that, and this is highlighted, the fundamental interests of society require the application of federal criminal law to a particular set of circumstances, recognising both that serious violations of federal law must be prosecuted. Um, one particular part of this subsection that is relevant to this article is as follows, and this is under initiating and declining prosecution probable cause requirement if the attorney for the government concludes that there is probable cause to believe that a person has committed a federal offence within his or her jurisdiction, he or she could, should consider whether to request or conduct a further investigation. And then later, under a comment, it, he highlights and is the minimal requirement for indictment by a grand jury. The senior federal prosecutors reviewing matters related to the 2016 election were to make recommendations as to whether those matters were to be pursued criminally, if there were other matters to investigate, and whether any special counsel should be established. We'll touch on the grand jury part shortly. On March 29, 2018, Jeff Sessions disclosed that he had specifically assigned United States Attorney John Huber to lead the effort of investigating those various matters. And it's just worth remembering that um, when Q was posting, there were quite a number of references to John Huber. Anyway, to continue on, this letter says, 
As noted in Assistant Attorney General Stephen E. Boyd's November 13, 2017 letter to the House Committee on the Judiciary, I already have directed senior federal prosecutors to evaluate certain issues previously raised by the committee. Specifically, I asked United States Attorney John W. Huber to lead this effort. Mr. Huber is an experienced federal prosecutor who was twice confirmed. The Mueller investigation would ultimately conclude on March 23, 2019, after finding no collusion. Mueller concludes investigation. Our turn. Nearly two months later, it was reported on May 14, 2019, that Bill Barr appointed John Durham to investigate the origins of the Russia collusion hoax. AP source, Barr launches new look at origins of Russia probe. Attorney General William Barr has appointed a US attorney to examine the origins of the Russian investig- the Russia investigation and determine if intelligence collection involving the Trump campaign was lawful and appropriate, according to a person familiar with the issue. Barr appointed John Durham, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut, to conduct the inquiry, the person said. The person could not discuss the matter publicly and spoke Monday to the Associated Press on condition of anonymity. With the appointment, Barr is addressing a rallying cry of President Donald Trump and his supporters, who have accused the Justice Department and FBI of unlawfully spying on his campaign. It's still just so interesting to me that John Durham was actively involved with investigating matters related to the 2016 election well before the date of May 14th, 2019, when he was officially appointed by Bill Barr. On September 24th, 2019, it was reported that John Durham assumed parts of John Huber's Clinton Foundation review. On January 9th, 2020, it was reported that John Huber's investigation was concluded and found no tangible results. Based on the scope of what John Huber was investigating, the Clinton Foundation and all those related matters, it's hard to imagine his investigation finding no tangible results. Why would Durham take on aspects of it if he didn't find anything of consequence? We found out in December of 2020 that prior to the election, on October 18th, Bill Barr had quietly named John Durham special counsel, investigating the 2016 election and related matters. It's significant that this move was made prior to the election, as it once again shows the foresight of Donald Trump and his team. They knew the election was going to be stolen They cemented John Durham's investigation without political bias prior to the election being stolen. So John Durham had his hands all over this investigation going back before Robert Mueller was even named special counsel. John Huber's investigation has a massive and wide-ranging scope. So many people involved in so many crimes, yet we haven't had hardly anything of significance in terms of Trump justice to show for any of it. Why is that? Because the tool John Durham and the rest of the senior federal prosecutors have been using is the grand jury. Many individuals have been speculating all along that John Durham had been empanelling grand juries for his investigation, but the MSM didn't start talking about it until August of 2021. And it's got a screenshot of a headline, uh, Evidence Presented to Grand Jury in Durham's Russia Probe. 
John Durham, the federal prosecutor tapped to investigate the origins of the Russia investigation, has been presenting evidence before a grand jury as part of his probe. The development is a potential sign that Durham may be mulling additional criminal charges beyond the one he brought last year against a former FBI lawyer who admitted altering an email about a Trump campaign aide who'd been under FBI surveillance. The September 16, 2021 indictment of Michael Sussman brought forth the first official mention of a grand jury from the Durham investigation itself. And it's in the indictment document that it says the grand jury charges that and then the um, overview. This is huge to the devolution theory for two main reasons. Because how grand juries operate and ultimately how the potential indictments of grand jury investigations can be revealed, and secondly, the moves President Donald Trump made while in office that specifically relate to grand juries. The grand jury. Let's educate ourselves on what a grand jury is. Nature of the grand jury. The powers and function of the federal grand jury differ from those of the federal trial jury, which is called the petite jury. The petite jury listens to the evidence offered by the prosecution and the defence, if it chooses to offer any, during a criminal trial and returns a verdict of guilty or not guilty. The grand jury, on the other hand, does not determine guilt or innocence, but only whether there is probable cause to believe that a crime was committed and that a specific person or persons committed it. If the grand jury finds probable cause to exist, then it will return a written statement of the charges called an indictment. After that, the accused will go to trial. And one of the other things it says is the law imposes upon each grand juror a strict obligation of secrecy. This obligation is emphasised in the oath each grand juror takes and in the charge given to the grand jury by the judge. As far as indictments go, in some situations they may be sealed. This screenshot is from LegalBeagle.com but gives us a good idea. And if we remember, we used to have all these posts talking about how many sealed indictments there were, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, if I recall. We haven't really been hearing about that recently, but it's interesting that this should be part of the whole devolution process. And it's talking about sealed, this screenshot is talking about sealed indictment in criminal cases. A sealed indictment is simply an indictment that is kept secret from the public. At this point, no one can disclose the existence of the indictment, so no one knows who is under investigation for a crime and what offence is alleged. At some appropriate moment, which prosecutors decide, the indictment is unsealed and a warrant is issued for the suspect's arrest. Think of the Durham investigation and all the, in quotes, related matters potentially involved here. How many of these criminals are just continually committing crimes to try and gain power to cover up their previous crimes? All of this is connected and a majority of the same players are involved in so many of them. Using sealed indictments is the only way to bring these people down. You don't unseal them until you're ready to take them all down at once. If these dumbasses keep committing crimes, you have more indictments to add. 
It's impossible for me to believe John Huber, looking into the Clinton Foundation and various related matters, could conclude his investigation with no tangible results. And it's got a very well-known meme in here with a, an image of Hillary Clinton holding her cell phone. Phone. Hello, suicide hotline. Hillary. Yes, I'd like to place an order. That's why we call her Killary, isn't it? Memes like this are funny because there is some level of truth to them. Remember, grand jury investigations simply have to decide if there is enough evidence to take it to trial. They don't actually have to convict. Once they find there is enough evidence, they vote to indict and then the indictment is sealed until the appropriate moment the prosecutor finds it is ready to unseal. Sealed indictments by a grand jury is key to taking down the political establishment. I believe things are taking so long because the timing isn't right yet, as I have been saying for some time. I believe Trump and the players involved in the devolution operation have been involved with assisting Durham and his team in taking down the political establishment through the use of grand juries. Let me show you how. Executive action. One of the most famous moves Trump made relating to the Russian collusion hoax was his memorandum issued on January 19, 2021. The day before leaving office, he announced he would be declassifying numerous documents related to the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation. And it says, declassification of certain materials related to the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation... Memorandum for the Attorney General, the Director of National Intelligence and the Director of the Central Intelligence Agency. And it's got details of that declassification memo. I don't know about you, but at the time I was expecting an entire binder full of documents relating to the Crossfire Hurricane investigation to be released. The Crossfire Hurricane investigation is just one aspect of the potential laundry list of crimes and matters that were investigated through the use of a grand jury. Trump made two other significant moves prior to this one. On May 23, 2019, shortly after Bill Barr announced he had assigned John Durham to investigate the Russian collusion hoax, Donald Trump issued a memorandum to the Federal Register. Agency cooperation with Attorney General's review of intelligence activities relating to the 2016 presidential campaigns. Memorandum for the Secretary of State, the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of Defense, the Attorney General, the Secretary of Energy, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Director of National Intelligence and the Director of the Central Intelligence Agency. And... It also highlights this phrase against certain related matters. The first thing to note is the lack of the FBI as one of the agencies listed. It's likely because they were one of the ones to be investigated. Also remember that we just discussed that right before leaving office, Trump declassified all of the FBI crossfire hurricane investigation documents. The second thing to note is the familiar wording we find certain related matters. To me, this is a connection that this memo is also applicable to the investigation that was led by John Huber. So essentially, the memorandum is ordering all the listed intelligence agencies, including the DOD, Department of Defense, 
to declassify any information that might be related to the Attorney General's review regarding activities surrounding the 2016 election and certain related matters. And he goes on, I found section 3.1D from Executive Order 13526 most interesting. And the parts that he's focused on is where it says um, the need to protect such information may be outweighed by the public interest in disclosure of the information and also whether the public interest in disclosure outweighs the damage to the national security that might reasonably be expected from disclosure. Just an FYI, remember who Trump nominated to chair the Public Interest Declassification Board before leaving office, Ezra Cohen-Watnick. So here is a hypothetical to help us grasp the potential magnitude of this memorandum. Let's say the Defence Intelligence Agency, formerly led by Michael Knows Where the Bodies Are Buried, Flynn, and currently led by the man who didn't tell Biden we had the highest level defector in history, I think that's the Chinese guy, had some sort of intelligence pertaining to the Clinton Foundation and their illicit activities. Or what if the National Security Agency, formerly led by Admiral Mike Obama is spying on your campaign, Rogers, and currently led by the man we believed captured the election theft, had some sort of intelligence that Tech Executive One spied on a sitting president. This memo allowed for agencies like that, with potential information like that, to assist Bill Barr and John Durham with their investigations. Remember the reporting that DNI John Ratcliffe was declassifying thousands of pages of documents. That stemmed from this memo. Headed, Ratcliffe says ODNI has provided nearly a thousand documents to DOJ to support Durham Probe. On December 14th, it was announced that Bill Barr was resigning via a resignation letter that didn't say the word resign anywhere on it. And I think I pointed this out at the time. The closing paragraph of the letter says, as discussed, I will spend the next week wrapping up a few remaining matters, interesting use of the same terms, important to the administration and depart on December 23rd. He didn't actually say resign. And as Q has told us many times, language is very important. On December 22nd, 2020, the day before Bill Barr was set to, in quotes, depart, Donald Trump issued his bombshell memorandum a memorandum that was actually signed on December 18th. Memorandum of, on the Attorney General's authority to use classified information in connection with review of intelligence activities. This memorandum is interesting solely based on where I found it. This one wasn't on the Federal Register. Instead, it was on Trump's archived website. I was lucky to have come across it at all. And the highlighted parts of this are the term certain related matters and then lower down, in addition, the Attorney General is authorised to use classified information as he deems necessary in connection with his review, including in a grand jury or other proceeding. 
First, this memorandum references the previous memorandum which ordered all the listed intelligence agencies, including the Department of Defence, to declassify any information that might be related to the Attorney General's review regarding activities the AG is authorised to use the classified information received from all the listed intelligence agencies including the DOD, however he deems necessary in connection with his review, including in a grand jury or other proceeding. I think Trump essentially gave the game away with this one. All these agencies, including the DOD, have been declassifying documents to assist Barr and Durham in their work investing the 2016 election and certain related matters, and Trump specifically wanted it to be known that these documents could be used in grand jury proceedings. This is a checkmate type of move. The information that could be in play here is the information that would have been available to Michael Flynn and the reason he was the only individual Obama warned Trump about. The information that could be in play here is where the bodies are buried. The information that could be in play here might be the end of the deep state as we know it. All that intelligence and classified information given to John Durham, the man who can't be touched. Closing. Imagine the following hypothetical scenario. You wake up one morning, turn on the news, again a hypothetical scenario, to hear that well over half of Congress, the entire Biden administration, many local government officials from around the United States, many individuals from major corporations, mainstream media news outlets, etc., have all been indicted for a swath of various crimes. In other words, what would happen if the entire political establishment, or at least a good chunk of it, were to end up being indicted by the ongoing Durham investigation? Remember what John Huber's scope was, basically matters relating to the Clinton Foundation and the 2016 election. You can tie pretty much everything to that vague yet broad scope because all of it is related. All of those scandals involve pretty much the same players. What if one of those indictments is for criminal activity relating to the 2020 election? There are mountains of evidence the 2020 election was stolen. I believe our military has some of that evidence. What if people were indicted for it and the military comes forth and shows the evidence they have? What if they already gave it to John Durham as the memos Trump issued directed them to? Remember the Time magazine article? The secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. And it highlights a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage and, and control the flow of information. And it says they were not rigging the election, they were fortifying it. Interesting use of words there. These are the people I'm talking about. What if all the rhinos in every state legislature holding back the decertification process are indicted? What if all those lawyers and corrupt judges, those non-profit groups, those ballot-stuffing mules, what if they all get indicted? Definitive proof comes forth through these indictments that there was election fraud. How will the mainstream media spin this when they are also indicted as part of it? How do we move forward as a country?
This would be the constitutional crisis I've been talking about. I could be wrong here, but as far as I could find, there was no method for indicted individuals in our government to be removed from office other than to be voted out by their peers or resigning themselves. I don't imagine anybody would resign. Why would they? They would be handing over the little power they have left. Remember, an indictment is not a conviction. It just shows that a grand jury found enough evidence to justify a criminal trial. There are instances where indicted individuals are found innocent. That is why there is no rule in place to remove indicted members, innocent until proven guilty. A scenario like this would lead us to some sort of special election, a constitutional reset of sorts. It's the only way I could see us getting out of a mess of this magnitude. Is something like this what Trump is waiting for? A wave of indictments would shock the nation. It doesn't matter what your political beliefs are because the indictments would cover both sides of the aisle. A scenario like this would be the taping open of the eyelids for the willfully ignorant or otherwise brainwashed normie who has been blindfolded the past six years. Nobody will be able to look away. Trump assisted the Durham investigation of Spygate and certain related matters which is, he has been investigating in some form or another since at least April of 2017 by allowing our intelligence agencies, including the DOD, to declassify relevant material. Trump issued a memorandum just so he could specifically declare that such declassified material can be used in grand jury proceedings. Grand jury proceedings lead to sealed indictments and that is the key. Literally thousands of individuals could have been indicted via sealed indictments and nobody would know, even those indicted, until they became or become unsealed. This is how you shock the nation awake and expose the magnitude of the corruption that has been perpetrated by the cabal for decades, if not longer. I've always considered the Durham investigation to be just another piece of the devolution puzzle. Is it possible the Durham investigation is part of the end game? The best is yet to come. And what has been noted before is the length of the indictments that Durham has been issuing in terms of going into huge amounts of detail, I think something like 48 pages in some cases, when it's typical to only have something like three or four pages. And what's happening is that in these very, very detailed indictments, he's building the narrative, telling the story behind all of this so that people can actually join the dots and put the story together. So on to the story of Twitter. You probably realise by now that on Monday this week, uh, Elon Musk managed to secure the purchase of Twitter and um, a lot of leftists and especially the Twitter employees when had a major meltdown. This is a report from theblaze.com. Twitter employees go absolutely insane in meltdown over Elon Musk's purchase. I feel like I'm going to throw up. Many Twitter employees reportedly went absolutely insane on Monday after Elon Musk's acquisition of the social media platform was finalised. What happened? Immediately after the $44 billion purchase was announced, Twitter employees began voicing outrage and shock in private chat rooms. A New York Times reporter described internal communication channels as absolutely insane. 
I feel like I'm going to throw up. I really don't want to work for a company that is owned by Elon Musk, one Twitter employee told a New York Times reporter. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. Oh my God, my phone's been blowing up, that employee continued. I feel like he's this petulant little boy and that he's going doing this to troll. He doesn't know anything about our policies and what we do. His statement about our algorithm was effing insane. We're just going to let everyone run amok. Nobody knows. Another employee wrote in a since-deleted tweet that they were in need of a stiff drink. The Daily Beast reported that another Twitter employee wrote on Blind, an anonymous social media platform, that Musk is dishonest, clueless and mentally ill. One employee even bashed fellow employees who support Musk, saying Elon fanboys are brain-dead mouth-breathers. Company leaders held an all-staff meeting with employees Monday afternoon. A chief concern among them was Musk's promise to transform Twitter into a platform that embraces free speech. According to the Washington Post, employees are worried Musk will break down the safeguards Twitter has implemented to protect its users from content that Twitter deems is harmful or unsafe, misinformation. Other employees are worried about their permanent work-from-home situation, while others express concern about their company stock and whether layoffs are in the future, the New York Times reported. However, some Twitter employees also expressed optimism about the future of their workplace. Elon did not tie up 20% of his net worth to destroy Twitter, one employee told the Washington Post. I personally think a change like this may be what Twitter needs. Even Twitter co-founder and former CEO Jack Dorsey endorsed Musk's purchase. In principle, I don't believe anyone should own or run Twitter, he reacted. It wants to be a public good at a protocol level, not a company. Solving for the problem of it being a company, however, Elon is the singular solution I trust. I trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness. Anything else? Despite the weeping and gnashing of teeth by some employees, Musk has not announced any changes to Twitter. Instead, Musk released a statement after his purchase expressing desire to improve Twitter, not destroy it. Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is a digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated, Musk said. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it, he added. Meanwhile, Twitter locked out employees from making changes to Twitter's source code preventing angry employees from sabotaging the platform, Bloomberg reported. And there was another meltdown also reported by The Blaze. An MSNBC host brutally mocked for lack of self-awareness when expressing concern over Elon Musk buying Twitter. MSNB host Ari Melba was slapped with a brutal les- lesson in self-awareness on Monday, after expressing fear that Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter would result in election manipulation. Melba, speaking on his show, The Beat, with Ari Melba, complained that Musk could exploit Twitter to manipulate democracy. 
you could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else, and the rest of us might not even find out until after the election, he added. Well, of course, this is exactly what Twitter has been doing um, since Trump came into office. So very ironic that he's laying out exactly the uh, agenda or the strategy of the leftist control of Twitter. Now, there's an interesting take on this from Jack Posobiec. Um, Elon didn't just buy a platform, he bought evidence. And this is reported by Forbidden Knowledge TV. Many are saying that April 25th, the day Elon Musk closed on his purchase of Twitter, was a good day for free speech. But it was a lot more than that. On the one hand, there are the technological implications of the acquisition of having Twitter under the same umbrella as Elon's other high-tech assets in satellites, autonomous vehicles, etc. More pressingly, there is the legal aspect and the hope of saving America and the world by buying the entire database of the main platform that was used to throw the 2020 election, that deplatformed the president, that deplatformed anyone talking about Hunter Biden's laptop, including America's oldest newspaper, the New York Post. As Jack Posobiec tells Steve Bannon here, Elon didn't just purchase a company, he purchased evidence. He purchased evidence in criminal cases. That's what he's got here. Missouri Senator Josh Hawley wasted no time in sending Elon a formal letter suggesting that he, in quotes, open the books on who Twitter has shadow banned, who Twitter has suspended, who they've throttled, and who was responsible for the egregious censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop reporting. Make it all public. That's why we're seeing the hysterics throughout the dinosaur legacy media with pundits equating free speech with fascism and Elon's acquisition of Twitter with white supremacy. The European Union, which just last week passed even stricter online censorship policies, issued a warning to Musk that Twitter must abide by the EU censorship or risk hefty fines and even a ban on, of the platform in EU member nations. And wouldn't you know that cross, Crossfire Hurricane FBI lawyer Jim Baker has been the Deputy General Counsel and VP of Legal at Twitter since June of 2020. Yes, the same Jim Baker, the same deep stater who was General Counsel of the FBI and who personally arranged the meeting between the FBI and Hillary campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, in which Sussman presented fabricated evidence against Trump about Alpha Bank per documents recently published by the Durham investigation. Mike Cernovich tweeted on Tuesday night he facilitated fraud. Michael Sussman allegedly texted his old friend, the FBI's then general counsel, James Baker, to say that he urgently needed to convey sensitive information to the Bureau. This information was fabricated. Jim Baker kept it hidden until Durham. If Baker would help a friend lie to the FBI, imagine what he's doing inside Twitter. To which Elon Musk replied, sounds pretty bad. The same FBI lawyer who was involved in orchestrating the crossfire hurricane endless coup that ran throughout Trump's presidency then hopped over to Twitter after a brief detour at the Brookings Institution to receive marching orders. 
and became the social media platform's number two lawyer to preside over the censorship of the laptop from hell, the FBI orchestrated January 6th false flag, and the deplatforming of the sitting president and commander-in-chief of the US Armed Forces. Jack Posobiec tells Steve Bannon, Elon Musk just bought all of the documents surrounding the banning of President Trump. Sounds like something we might get some testimony on for one of those House special investigations. And just quickly, there is also one um, anon, as you would, as I would call him, who has a take on what has happened with this takeover. He's he is hypothesizing that Elon is working with the White Hats. I know the people that have doubts about him but that this was kind of a done deal before anything came out in the news. Um, He says, Elon had this battle won before it started. It is far too calculated, controlled and effective to be an accident. Reeks of white hat involvement. Well, I hope that's true. So that's all I have time for this week. Thank you for listening. And I hope you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show on Saturday. I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and also uh, Derek Condit of mysticalwares.com for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio and making all this possible. And just a reminder, you can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net and Empowered Manifestation. So take care, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.